Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now here's your host, Tom Singer. Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Making Waves at Sea Level. Thank you so much for choosing this podcast because we know in the world of podcasts, you have a lot of choices. In fact, over the last 12 months, everyone who breathes air has started a podcast. So there is even more choices than there has ever been. And I appreciate people who listen to this show, whether this is your first episode or you've been here for all 642 episodes that we have done since I started the show. It was originally launched under the title Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. I changed it up last year when I joined an executive search firm, and my focus is on helping companies recruit people in the VP and C-suite. And so I wanted to make sure my, my, my lanes of my life lined up, so I changed the podcast to Making Waves at Sea Level because I like to talk to people who are shaking things up in business, and that's what we're going to do today. But before we get started, I have a quick commercial for you. Check out another podcast that I happen to host that is the official podcast of the National Speakers Association. I partnered with them to start this show in January, and we launched a show called Speakernomics. If you work in and around the world of professional speaking, and that means speaking, training, facilitating, consulting, coaching, or podcasting, you might want to listen to Speakernomics because we are all about how to make money using the spoken word. And you can check that out everywhere that you get your podcast love, be it Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, etc. All right, so today we are going to talk to somebody who I find to be a very interesting entrepreneur. I also found out that she was born the same year I went off to college, so she is much, much younger than I am. But she's had an interesting career, and in 2016, she joined the company she's now with, Association Analytics, as their COO, and two years later, she took over as the CEO, and in that three-year period, she has brought massive growth to the company. Now, the company's been around since 1999, and they are focused as a software-as-a-service SaaS company serving the association world and other worlds where there's sort of member-driven uh, uh, companies, etc., like credit unions, etc. And her name is Julie Shulo. Hey, Julie, welcome to Making Waves at Sea Level. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Tom. Really excited. Love the podcast and love hearing other entrepreneurs and founders making waves. So well, happy to be here. Well, we're happy to have you. And that's what we want to talk about is how do you shake things up as a company? So let's take a look at Association Analytics. Can you tell me about the company, how it got started and what it does today? Yeah, sure. So as you can imagine, starting in 1999 and it being quite some years later, the company has changed quite a bit over the years. Uh, you know, we really got into reporting for association management softwares, AMSs, um, initially. And then what we realized is what people were really asking for weren't reports. They were analytics. They were looking for trends. They were looking at how do I look not only in the past, but how do I look forward using analytics, maybe predictive analytics. And so we started doing custom enterprise data warehouses, which if anybody knows what that is, it takes a long time, about 18 months, uh, I think is a pretty realistic, maybe aggressive timeline to complete an enterprise data warehouse. And it's really expensive. 
And what we noticed as we were going to association to association is, hey, everybody's asking for kind of the same things. And it's really our mission to change the way associations are doing business. So we really wanted to make it accessible to the masses. So then they could, of course, empower their missions, right? And so that's when the light bulb kind of went off and it was, okay, we we could productize this and we can bring this to the masses. We can bring the price tag way down. We can bring the implementation time way down and we can make this accessible for associations, even on a smaller budget. And that's what we did. And so we did that after I took over the company in 2000, it was February 9th. 2018. I'll never forget that day. It was a lengthy closing at the attorney office. Um, and right after that in July is when we launched the product acumen. And then from there, I mean, that was a huge pivot in the company because anybody that's listening that has run a services company and also run a product company, uh, vastly different. Um, and if you've been an employee of either one of those also vastly different, uh, the, the interesting thing was at the time we had, you know, seven or eight full-time employees, um, a large contractor model. Uh, I love the fact that all of those employees stayed on board and were, a- were able to kind of wipe that slate clean and pivot themselves over to the, the product mentality. Because I tell you, I don't think I was actually had my head wrapped all the way around it. You, we had to change everything. Um, and I don't think going into that, I, I initially anticipated that. I was like, okay, I know we're going to have a pivot. You know, it's going to look like maybe something, a short turn to the right. No, it was completely turn around, um, kind of wipe it clean and let's rebuild and launch. And that's what we did. Um, and then growing over 300%. So, you know, we're almost 40 people today and growing. Um, I think that's, it's been an amazing vision come to light. Like we, the original vision three years ago was, okay, let's make Acumen a household name in the association space. Like I want everybody to know who we are, association analytics and what we do. The really exciting thing when we did our 2021 three-year vision, we were able to say, we achieved that. And that felt really good. (laughs) So the association world is an interesting world to market and sell into. So my background is I've been a professional speaker and master of ceremonies for 12 years. And then in the last year, I joined an executive search firm. And I'm not walking away from speaking for associations, but I'm also now doing executive search. And one of the areas I'm focusing on is association management. And some associations are are really cutting edge. They're out there. You know, they're as aggressive as some of these tech companies you read about. And others are still, you know, a couple of years behind that curve of getting more aggressive. So when you're talking about data and analytics and the products that you offer, you know, what are some of the the, the, the pitfalls that you face in a world that's so fragmented like associations? Because you got big ones, you got small ones, you got ones that are already tech savvy, ones that aren't. It's just sort of all over the map. What makes that a difficult world? Yeah, that's an interesting question because really it took years and years and I, I credit the founder of Association Analytics, Debbie, for educating the market on what data and analytics even is. And some people may not know that 
even sitting there today. But when you start to show them a dashboard, they get it. They're like, oh, a dashboard. Like I can intuitively, you know, see exactly where my operations are going. I can intuitively see which members are engaged or not engaged or which non-members are engaged or not engaged. So really, you know, in the early 2000s, it was a lot of education in connecting that gap. The other thing that I think really helped is exactly what you're doing, Tom. It's bringing people with that mindset in that modern day mindset. You know, if you're living in 20. 21 and don't know um, or don't use any data in your life. I don't know what you do. Um, (laughs) Maybe you're living off the grid somewhere. I still think then you probably use data to make decisions. You would, you would, you have to. Um, And so getting those people into the association space and something really cool that uh, we found in a study that we did is people with acumen or with some sort of data and analytics uh, has increased retention, especially of millennials in the association space. And so that I thought was a great kind of side effect. Um, You know, you like to talk about shaking things up and making waves. I like that kind of that ripple effect that it's happening, happening in bringing and keeping the cutting edge type of talent that we want in the association space. Yeah, I find that interesting because there's been a lot of talk about, oh, association, uh, I'm sorry, millennials aren't joiners of associations. And yet over the last several years, as I've been speaking all over the country, there's a lot of associations that have captured that millennial market. So they don't join until they do. And I guess one of the ways that you get them to join and get them to stay involved is provide them with what they need. And the only way they're going to know what they need is if they're using a tool like you offer. Exactly. You know, And the other thing, too, is, you know, associations don't have all of the resources in the world. And so what this allows you to do is be very sharp on where you're spending your resources. You know, another kind of joke is associations love to have a lot of offerings, uh, but don't always sunset anything. Right. (laughs) Or they don't sunset something because of politics, because so and so on the board, you know, wrote that book. Like, well, of course, we're going to, you know, sell that and push that and. Whenever you can put analytics behind something and data behind something, it's something that we call data confidence. It gives you the confidence to stand up and kind of just present the facts and make decisions based on facts along with, of course, experience and maybe a little bit of gut thrown in there. We're not saying data is the end all be all. And you certainly don't want data to stifle innovation, which, you know, when you get into some of the Fortune 500 companies, different, of course, than associations, you if you overuse data, um, it can really stifle innovation and quick decisions. And so I think associations are the perfect ripe spot to adopt something like this where you can still be innovative and you can still make decisions quickly or hopefully speed up some of the decisions um, at the association by, by having this data confidence. So one of the things I'm seeing in the association world is is it's poised for some management changes. I've talked to several boards who might be looking to do searches to to turn over some of their senior management. And so as associations are growing and changing as we as we go past hopefully this this pandemic era, what are some key things that people need to be thinking about when it comes to data to make sure that they're proving to their boards that they're relevant and they're on top of things so that they don't fall prey to some sort of a sea change? 
Yeah, you know, that's interesting because what we've seen work really well is actually opening up Acumen or opening up your dashboards to your board. And while that may seem scary, the leaders that are confident in their decisions and they really want their boards to be forward facing and not get into the minutia of the operations, uh, that's exactly what happened. And so, you know, it was this really interesting kind of like, hold your breath, see what happens. And then a sigh of relief, right? Because what what they wanted to happen, happened. Um, and so I think to be a, a leader in 2021, you have to be using data and analytics and it drives transparency. Absolutely, it drives transparency from the board level all the way down to data entry. Um, but that's a good thing. That's going to help your association um, in so many different ways. And so that if you're scared of that, you really have to think about why am I scared? Why am I scared of that? Is because I don't understand it because I don't have data literacy um, as a leader. And then looking at recruiting and hiring within your association, you should be looking at that rate at the onset when you're recruiting uh, some component of data literacy to make sure if that's all we did this. Uh, I'm going to pivot for just one second. We did this study at ASA Annual, um, this survey at ASA Annual a couple of years ago, and it was fascinating because, you know, all association leaders said, yes, we want to be data driven. You know, yes, we have the support of the board. But then when you looked at who's actually doing it or who's actually, you know, funding it or putting tools in place, and this is probably about five years ago, huge gap. It was like 76% to, you know, I think 85% of board support and we want to be data driven. And then it was like, you know, somewhere in the 30% um, or 20, maybe it was even 28% that uh, didn't have the proper tools and, or didn't, weren't doing it. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of one of those things, you know, walk the walk, uh, just talk the talk and what the pandemic has done, which is really interesting. Um, it's, moved up data and analytics on the priority list. And so now associations can't use gut and instinct or let's do it like we did last year because that's really comfortable and, you know, we don't want to make waves perhaps. And then you have associations that do want to make waves. Um, but what the pandemic did was kind of knock down those walls and kind of say, oh, crap, we need to be using something to make our decisions. Hey, wow associations are very data rich, sometimes too data rich over to the data hoarder side. But uh, we saw usage of Acumen, especially at the executive level, uh, go up somewhere between 70 and 75%. And so uh, that was that was really interesting. So that brings up an interesting question because some associations have done a great job of providing member value, of being able to change over the course of the year of the pandemic. Some of them maybe not as much, what are some success stories you've seen with your clients where they've used their data, they've used what Acumen does for them, and they've been able to somehow check off a big success box? Yes, I love these stories because this is like, this is what gets me out of bed in the morning. This is what makes me excited is people having success. And so I'll tell you two stories. One, ASAE, you know, they're the leader. It's funny though, because they get criticized and then 
you know, then they don't and everybody is like, oh, wow, that was actually a really good idea. But anyways, <laughs> so ASAE has done a fantastic job of one of their main member benefits is a community. So it's this place where everybody goes and kind of chats with each other, gets advice. People use it in different ways. It's called Collaborate. It's great. Um, what they have done is taken all of that data into Acumen and they're able to see real time what topics are trending up based on demographics, ge- geogra- ge- geographic, geographics. There we go. Um, and what topics are maybe trending down. And so they've been able to do real time content to serve members in those smaller buckets. So they might say, hey, we really want to engage our audience from, you know, in their 20s that are out West. I'm just making this scenario up and they could very, very easily see what are those trending topics that they really care about or what do CEOs of large staff associations care about and they can go and provide content exactly on what they, what they want to hear. And so, you know, it makes so much sense. Um, why wouldn't you be doing it, right? It's, you know, you have people there telling you exactly what they want. Uh, why aren't you taking advantage of that? And so ASA has done that and they've gotten record numbers and have been able to retain those record numbers to their virtual events, webinar series. Um, so that was a great success. The other one that comes to mind is NCA CPA, the North Carolina CPA Association. So they had, and this goes to the story of sunsetting and you may maybe not being so good at saying bye-bye to some things. <laughs> um, so they had a, a bunch of different seminars. You know, I think that's something that the pandemic at the beginning, everybody's like, well, I have to have all kinds of content, you know, and then everybody got super overwhelmed with it and no, it's that's the spaghetti at the wall approach that we know doesn't, doesn't work and it exhausts your staff. Why would you do that? If you knew that, you know, Tom really liked rigatoni, we're just going to give Tom rigatoni. Right. And so what they did is used analytics and used acumen to figure out exactly the profitability of certain uh, programs that they had and they got rid of and they cut, 20, I think it was 25% of their, um, of their programs, which could be pretty scary for an association. But what that did was, uh, drive up their bottom line by $400,000, which is a big chunk of change for them because they're not huge. And so it's like these small, very specific stories that really excite me on people. The other thing that's been really exciting just from a broader standpoint is to see people change. And yes, the pandemic forced it to some degree, but what I hear from customers or prospects that I'm talking to is we now have to scrutinize our decisions like a business. And I'm like, good, because you are. You are a business. Profit is not an ugly word. How are you going to give more value back to your members, to your industry, serve your mission without any money? Um, you, you, you know, You need that. And so that's really allowed people to start scrutinizing their decisions like a business. And one way they do that, of course, is by using data and now getting into analytics to to make those data driven or data guided um, decisions. So that's been really exciting to see over the past year. Wow, this is a fun conversation and I've got more questions for you. But first, I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode, it's brought to you by Podfly Productions. 
Podfly, they take the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. Podfly sets you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure you're going to sound amazing. They do all the heavy lifting and that pesky technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing people who are making waves in business like Julie Shulo. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know, I know that some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So Julie, I used to call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What's the coolest thing you're doing at Association Analytics right now? The coolest thing is the recommendation engine because it's going to continue to really change the way associations are delivering to their members. And it's exactly what you think it is. It is what you see on Netflix that you interact with that tells you, you know, what you should buy. Um, Associations, we took a little bit of a different take on it. So it's not just about what we want you to buy. It's also different ways that we want to increase your engagement because engagement is very um, important to associations. And so it might be, hey, you should really check out this piece of content. Hey, you should meet this other member because, you know, you might have something in common or you've both been chatting about the same things. Or it might be, hey, join this community because we know you can get value. It's all about value to your members. And so, that's the latest thing that we launched um, along with uh, major meetings. You know, major meetings is really exciting because it's timely. We obviously don't have a crystal ball and did not foresee the pandemic. Although if I did, that would have been the coolest thing that I did in this past year um, is foresee that because I don't think anybody necessarily did. But we launched major meetings uh, right around the same time. And we did pivot and change the um what would what it was going to hold, of course, to incorporate virtual events, um, but it was very timely. Less cool than the recommendation engine, though. Um, <laughs> the recommendation engine is just super exciting because I think associations sometimes think uh, things are not obtainable with their budgets, and that's kind of part of our motto is, okay, let's take these really cool things that are happening in the world and figure out how we can make them happen for associations. And the recommendation engine is the perfect example of that. So Julie, three years ago, you took over the company. You've grown it immensely. So what do you love about being the entrepreneur in charge? What do you like about being the CEO? What's what's the best part? Uh, seeing Seeing things come together. And I know that's very broad, But I mean, it could be small things like even uh, in the past month, uh, one of our analysts who were one of the original eight at the company uh, took over uh, our sprint management calls and have been, I don't know, just seeing her shine in a new way. Like that's that's what drives me or seeing a process come together. Like I'm constantly, as a CEO, I don't know about all the other CEOs you um, you interview, my job changes daily. Like I could be stuffing envelopes one day, or I could be doing something way cooler, like picking the next amazing feature or the next product path that we're doing. And so it's all, for me, it's all about finding the gaps and finding 
the right seats for people and then watching them excel in those seats and watching that gap be filled and that process come together. That's what I love about being a CEO. So I don't see, I mean, there's lots of them out there, but not as many women CEOs of tech companies. And so what has been your experience being a woman CEO of a fast growing tech company, you know, out there in, in, in the, in the wild? Yeah, sure. Uh, So interesting. I don't think of it that way. And I attribute this to maybe, I I don't know, I'm not a psychologist. Maybe I should go go and see one and figure out if this is the correct um, methodology. But I grew up with my father and never was there kind of gender roles in in my upbringing um, for him or for I, you know, he was mom and dad. I did things that were boy associated and girl associated. And so, you know, it's, it's an interesting question when it comes up because I feel like I, I'm proud to be a woman CEO, but I don't see it that way. And even when I'm in a room filled with, which happens all the time in the tech space with all other male um, CEOs, I, I don't care. I don't see it like that. I see it as we're all CEOs. And I don't feel a need to point that out. I don't feel a need to act any differently. Um, it's just, you know, I'm a different, I, I could be sitting there as a purple person and it, it would be kind of the same thing. And so, you know, I, I try to empower other, uh, especially young leaders to kind of take those goggles off and do what you want to do. And you have to work really freaking hard to do it regardless of who you are. Um, and, and that's been my experience is you work hard, you put yourself in the right positions, you connect the dots in the right way, and you can get to wherever you want to be, no matter who you are. As the father of two daughters, I love to hear that. I think that's awesome. Uh, and you do this with four small children. I do. I do. Tell me yes. the ages again of your kids. I know the new, the newest, the newest member of the Shulo family is four months old. But but what Correct. are their, what are the ages of the other three? Uh, so five just turned four, just turned two, and four months. And so I think that's the other thing that I find fascinating, um, where people think you have to choose, and maybe some people do. I never thought that I had to choose. I never thought about it at all. It is, I think at one point I said my life is like this like amazing smoothie with all kinds of different fruit in it. The company, of course, being one of those fruits, but I also have friends and family and children and all of these other things happening in my delicious blend. And that's exactly what it is, even pre-pandemic. It's, you know, you make it, I, I make it work and I don't think about oh, the balance and how do I attribute this much time to this and this much time to this? Like I just get up and go. So I love that, that your life is a delicious blend. I think I'm going to write that down and put it on a little sticky. I think that's what I want my life to be is just a delicious blend. That is, that is awesome. (laughs) So what advice do you have for other CEOs, entrepreneurs who, who want to shake things up in their business, have fast growth and, and do it all? What advice do you have for them? Um, You know, I think the biggest thing whenever I went into this endeavor, my mentor at the time, um, rest in peace, he had passed away at the age of 95. So uh, he lived a great life. He had a a good run. My dad lived to be 99. And I always say he had a good run. Yeah, a great run. 
Um, I was very fortunate that we had crossed paths. He was an entrepreneur. He actually worked on the first computer at MIT back in the day. And the pictures of it are fascinating. You know, as as you might imagine, it was the size of a, a giant room. And he actually would sleep on the floor and work on this computer then went on to buy a bunch of companies, sell a bunch of companies, was kind of this serial entrepreneur. Jack Roseman was his name. Anyways, whenever I was looking at purchasing this company and taking over this company, he uh, looked at me and he said, you know, what if it doesn't work out and what if you lose it all? And I said, well, I'd wake up the next day and figure out the next thing I'm going to do. And he's like, then you should do it. And I think that is a barrier in people's mind often is uh, the, the fear of failure. And my advice would be get over it. Um, you can find something. If you are a true entrepreneur at heart, you can find something else and be successful with something else. Don't let that fear overcome your ability to make a decision just hold your breath and do it. And that would be my advice. So you bring up the fact that you had a good mentor. How the, the episode immediately preceding this episode of Making Waves at Sea Level is about the power of mentorship. So why do you think mentors matter? And how do people find a mentor? Yeah, you know, there are a ton of mentor matching programs. I never was in one of those successful. Mine have all been natural in the course of business or life. And so one of my great mentors um, working at a Fortune 500, you know, we just started um, a relationship. We started going to lunch together and I initiated that. I liked the way that she presented herself. I liked the way she made decisions. I liked her as a leader and I reached out um, to Kathy and, you know, went to lunch with her and it continued to grow. And it was never like, will you be my mentor? It was, you're my mentor because I like the things you do. And then I knew when I had a decision to make or something to talk through, I could go to her and I trusted her judgment and advice. The other thing that I really realized a lot of times um, for my experience is, you know, you kind of maybe already know the answer but you want to talk it through with somebody who's not, doesn't have a vested interest. And so a mentor can really allow you to do that. And so that's where I found mine. Um, You know, I have started to now mentor others, very similar situation. You know, actually one of my employees, she just put some time on my calendar and then we were chatting and she was like, Hey, would you mind if we did this every month? And I'm like, no, I would love that. And, you know, we talk about different ways um, that she can grow, not just at the company, just in her career, um, as a person, with relationships, um, networking, and it's become that type of. So I would say don't be scared to ask and explore if you like the way somebody leads or makes decisions or if you see somebody um, that has potential that you really want to you want to pull up. It's it's truly rewarding, and I would urge everybody to to do that and to help somebody find their voice or find their path um, if you if you can. 
Yeah, the episode 641 on, on the power of mentorship, one of the things that came out of the discussion with two people who I mentor, so we it's people I've had in my life for eight years, one of the things was the mentee early on in the relationship sort of has to drive the relationship because our joke was, I couldn't call them in the first six or eight months and be like, hey, I haven't talked to you in a while. Can I mentor you today? Because that yeah. would be kind of awkward. But eventually we developed a friendship where I can initiate the calls. But in the early days, the mentee has to sort of find the correct, you know, cadence to drive that relationship. And then it becomes a give and take, you know, friendship and, and, and things like that. So uh, I'm glad you touched on that because like I said, I just had done that, that interview a couple of days ago and it'll air right before this one. So everybody make sure you go back one episode and listen to the one about mentorship as well. Well, Julie Shulo, thank you so much for being a guest here on making waves at sea level. Any last pearl of wisdom on, on how to make waves as an entrepreneur? Well, I'll tell you this. If you want to make waves as at a, as an association, use your data, use some analytics, and push your mission forward. That would be my last words of wisdom. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much. If people want to find out more about association analytics, where do they go? Associationanalytics.com. That's easy. All right. Thank you so much. And thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. I say it every single show. If it wasn't for the audience, why would I do this? Uh, I started it as a way that I could have access to really smart people, but now I've shared it with thousands of people on every episode. So keep tuning in and do me a favor. Go tell your friends. People tell me they found this show because a friend told them about it or a boss told them or a coworker. So yes, I like it when people go leave reviews on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher because my ego, I like it when people give five stars and say, great podcast. But more importantly, I like it when people tell other people because then we can share this little community here at Making Waves at Sea Level. We're going to be back in a couple of days with somebody just as cool as Julie Shulo. And you're thinking, what? Where will you find somebody this cool? We do it every single time. Uh, but in the meantime, go out there, flex your business muscles, make sure your career ladder is against the right wall because I spent a lot of time climbing the career ladder and it was in the wrong place. Don't do that. And while you're out there doing all this stuff, have some fun along the way. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast. Without your listening to these in-depth conversations, there would be no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.